Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe Talk and Shoot. I'm Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. And I'm Tom Scholey. Jim, what week is it, man? 1022. It's been a couple of weeks since we did one of these, man. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, if you don't mind off the top, like, I got my comps in for the Red Room trade paperback that's coming out November 9th, man. Red Room, the Antisocial Network. And one of the things that's happened, I've been talking about it at the beginning of uh, a lot of our episodes, is that uh, the book buyer over at Amazon is a kayfaber and those motherfuckers bought more than half the print run so i'm calling out to the comic shops like if you want it in stock like you gotta you gotta make some effort to do that i want people to buy it in the comic shop so if you have uh your eyes on it put in a pre-order go tell your comic shop that you want it because i actually see it going kind of quick and we're not going to be able to reprint it till the amazon ones go away and then i'm gonna have to start sending people to amazon so not uh, only that, man, with uh, printing turnarounds being what they are now, it could be it could be time in between yeah, those printings. It's true. It's true. So there's 70 extra pages, uh, probably probably more, a lot of extra artwork, and we're going to do a big video closer to the date that uh, this comes out, which coincidentally will be just a couple days after our third anniversary, which is November 5th, man. Remember, remember the 5th of November, and we got 50,000 subscribers under that date. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, thank you to all the cartoonist kayfabe loyalists out there that share these videos. Tell your friends about them. Tell the, the local comic shops. Share them on social media because that's how we get those 50,000. And uh, it's been exciting watching that number grow. I've seen people comment on uh, various milestones that we've hit in the past. You know, 10,000, 5,000, some of these numbers. Uh, 50,000, a big one. We almost doubled by this time last year. Something like 47% increase since this date last year. Nothing to sneeze at. No, it isn't. However, it's still just the start. <laughs> yeah, honestly, when we hit 100,000, that's when I'm really going to start getting serious about about dreaming up the like a cartoonist kayfabe comic festival. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I that's that's going to happen in the future, I think, man. Uh we're going to bring all these people together because we're creating and and sort of shepherding a community of people who really care about comics with no BS attached to it. Uh, why not put all these people in the same room? Uh, you know it's going to be in Pittsburgh. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. We don't have any shows here in town. We've never had any shows here in town that uh, really had what I needed. So we're going to have to make it ourselves. But that's the cart before the horse, man. I need at least 100,000 subscribers before I could even get serious about it. So we need to double the sub subscription uh, numbers in the next year. Six months. That's even better. <laughs> you know? I like that. <laughs> I finished uh, drawing the, the eighth issue, uh, the, 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 the eighth Red Room comic this past week, man. Congratulations. And uh, had a lot of stuff I was listening to, to to sort of keep me company through that process. One of the things was, and I don't know who it was from from San Diego Comic-Con, they sent me a link, very proud of this like six-part series that was on Sirius XM, an oral history of San Diego Comic-Con, host, oh, awesome. hosted by Brink Stevens. And uh, I highly recommend it. Um, go to Comic-Con's website, there are links there, like I'll include a link in, in the uh, description below this video. But it starts off with, like, you know, the earliest fandom before there were festivals. The third episode is a whole episode about Sheldorf. Shell uh -huh, yeah. You know, about, like, uh, the sort of polarizing nature of who he is. And it this thing answered a lot of the questions that I had and that I asked a lot of these lifers who, who've been going to uh, 
San Diego, you know, since the early days, since the beginning. What was the tipping point? What was, it, what was the tipping point? Nobody would give me a clear explanation, but this documentary series, like, lays it out. Mm -hmm. And it started with, there was, like, one uh, sort of wise publicist-type person at Fox who uh, started with, it was Star Wars. And it's like, we, we invested this money in this movie. Yeah. We need to try to make some of this money back. And he knew about fanzines, and he knew about ravenous geek culture because uh, they the way they cite it in the doc is that it's the um, it was people like from San Diego fandom who were the Trekkies and shit that made it possible for that show to get a third season because oh, yeah. because they wanted it, and the network was like, if you could get us a million signatures, we'll do it. And through fandom, through fanzines, through the network of the San Diego, you know, nerds and stuff, they made that shit happen. Uh, so that was the sort of initiating piece that brought the Hollywood connection. And then they said that, like, the real big one was, like, uh, started with um, Ghostbusters in 84. So they described it that it was really happening that early, where now there's, like, I don't know, an Ecto-1 in uh in on the the floor of of the hotel or something like that but anyhow this is all laid out in this doc fantastic I, my one criticism because i do think that it was created by fanboys in a way so they just either don't care that you don't know who scott shaw is or something like mm -hmm. like they just there are these voices talking and you know what mark avanier <laughs> sounds like i know who mark avanier sounds like but, like, they're not saying Marky Vanier and then allow him yeah. to, like, say his piece. So it's, like, that's, like, the one kind of fan part where they, they're just assuming you know what Stan Sakai sounds like. And I know what he sounds like. But That could uh, that could be amateur podcast or amateur producers. Yeah. Also, you know, that idea of uh, have that lead in of whose voice are we hearing here. It never gets redundant. Like, I listened to the... Um, the audio book of uh, that oral history of Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. And with, I mean, it's oral history. So, you know, while they're reading it, you know, Dana Carvey. And then they say the statement. It never gets redundant. You want to know who the fuck is saying the words, man. That's what, that's what, what I'm saying is re-edit it real yeah. quick, man. And it'll be a masterpiece. <laughs> that's that's what got David Lee Roth's uh, radio show canceled. Because he just never told us why we should care about Uncle Manny. It's like after the fact, we understood, oh, Uncle Manny, now I get it, but he didn't say it at all during the show. <laughs> that's I, a, that's a uh, quite praise. If, if, the big, if the big complaint is yeah. like, put in everybody's name, like, like give us the names before each of their, uh, the, you know, their, their oral uh, history there. The Geeks have won, and there's an hour-long show on Sirius X7 about Shell Dorf. <laughs> <laughs> there's more where that came from, if you, if you guys were curious, too, because yeah. I've been listening to... Uh, and I completed uh, Act Two of the the Sandman Audible okay. audio book series. Uh, just came out this past week, and uh, I listened to the first one and Act Two. These things are, I think the first one is eleven hours. This Act Two is like thirteen hours. Compiles about twenty issues at the very least, maybe twenty five issues worth of story, kind of rewritten uh, by Neil Gaiman. Read in his like they got proper actors and stuff mm -hmm. like that james mcavoy guy is sandman okay. and neil gaiman reads as like almost like the the, the captions or whatever mm -hmm. describing the visuals 
folio artist doing sounds in the background. There is <laughs> yeah, like like that's why it's like it's not quite an audiobook, but but there is there is stuff where it's like you could tell like you know it's not being described, but you hear the go, girl going like like when she's like putting on lipstick or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's like a audio drama kinda. Uh, because the comic was coming out monthly, people had to get their art in on time. So you get the best art that, you know, this guy can produce or that lady can produce. Uh, I, I like this audio thing better, man. Uh, does, does it count as a comic? Is it a, is this what we're evolving into? Like, are we going to be sitting with two coconuts making our comics? We're going to need to talk to Scott McCloud, see if we can edit the uh, definition a bit if you want to fit this one in. We'll see if we can arrange that. You know, it makes perfect sense that it would be uh, better. Because one, like those audio dramas have a long history. It's not like that can't be produced at a very, very high entertaining quality yeah. level. And then two, uh, you know, we have this conversation now and then about a manga that will then be translated into anime and the anime is better. And it's because like you've got the idea laid out in front of you. Anything that doesn't work, you get to fix. You yeah. get to, you know, sort of like maul it over, yeah. share it with a bunch of people who are, you know, like minded trying to make a an audio version of Sandman. And you get to kind of like figure out the best way to present these cool stories and ideas and characters and everything. So it makes sense to me why mm-hmm. you'd be able to do a very good version of that. Um, obviously, it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, but I do see how that can be. You know, it's like, it's almost like the comics, the first draft. I, I kind of hate to say that. Yeah. But it is in a way. You know, it gives you a chance to address things that you might do differently. And, you know, thinking about Sandman, the comic book comes out at such an interesting time because now stylistically everything exists right. there are cartoonists that can do everything whatever style gaming or whoever would envision you could find an artist to do that in the early 90s man it was limited yeah. it'd be so hard even if there were these great artists like even just finding them would be tough in a time when some of the best artists in comics are exchanging their art through the mail like impossible to find some of these outstanding artists or artists that would fit something that's outside of the typical Marvel DC standard. It's it's great that this exists because there are a few people that I've had in mind to uh, to sort of send Sandman their way, but these these people are artists as well, and I just know that they wouldn't be able to get past the visual to, like, you know, explore the, the lore of it and, and just the narrative stuff. So this is the the solution, you know? Yeah, and not to, uh, you know, I, I, I'm i not shitting on any of the Sandman artists, but I think... That... I tried to couch it with, the, uh, <laughs> with, that, with that monthly uh-huh. schedule shit. But, but we've talked about it in the context of cartoonists that kick down doors. You know, Frank Miller fights to be able to make comics that aren't just Daredevil, but an actual crime comic. Or Will Eisner wants to do the human condition in these graphic novels. And they, and they sort of expand the landscape for this kind of material to be created but they may not have the vocabulary themselves to push it to its furthest or to execute the smoothest best version of it and i would say sandman's a book like that where when i was in college anybody that read comics if if somebody you know an ra or somebody read knew i read comics and they say they read comics it was sandman yeah that was the book that was like oh comics could be for everyone or they could be for a wider audience or adults or whatever the case is but you still had to like figure that out. Like, what's the language for that? Because I know how to draw Batman and Robin, but I don't know how to draw the thing for you know thirty-four-year-old, uh, you know, continuing ed major or whatever. Right. And and I give those guys credit for that. You know, you're kind of figuring out like a new audience, a new look, new types of stories. That's a lot of ground to cover in a monthly book. Yeah. You're you're talking about like the comics is the first draft. Like 
the comic can be a first draft for another comic. And that hasn't really happened with Sandman. Like, they chose this way of sort of retelling the story, but that hasn't really happened with Sandman because of, like, whatever, you know, deal it is they, they struck with Gaiman, that it's it's not like every other comic where it's like, okay, the Neil Gaiman run of Sandman's over, now the new guy's coming in, and he's going to retell, and then eventually you get, like, a Frank Miller or somebody coming in and telling, like, the ultimate version of Sandman because it's just been run through this mill enough time. It's, well, it's also, it's not just new art or, like, a new language for art. It's also a new business model. Yeah, you know, the business Sandman model. Because Sandman was no from, longer, yeah. like, just a month. If you didn't get it that month, you got to buy a back issue. It's like, no, 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 it's in print. Yes, this in library. these collections, yeah. right, that you could find in your library. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, like, those things you were saying about the hurdles, like, for me, it was like I started Sandman kind of in the middle. So it's like I came in, you know, with some, like, really sweet-looking stuff, some pre P. Craig Russell, some uh, Mike Allred, and I'm like, I love this comic. Let me go check out, you mm -hmm. know, the beginning. Yeah, a lot of that stuff, man. You get some Primo, Michael Zuli. There's, there's definitely lots of, lots of good stuff in there, man. What you guys been up to? I have nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, my book's not announced. I'm doing, um, working on covers right now, working on a logo. Um, so I have nothing exciting to push forward, unfortunately. You know something I was thinking about, man. Uh, like with all the. Storenko talk that we did like on with previous comics and shit he designed that x-men logo like the iconic yeah. x-men logo like that's him yeah. and and like i was just thinking about that this morning you know like another video that we i, I mean whatever i'll say it man like we, we looked at apple seed and we were commenting a little bit about the tom orzakowski very iconic mm -hmm. logo and these the best of these letters are designing complete unique fonts one and done you know and and uh creating these long-lasting things or, or zakowski one of the best and then i was just thinking like fucking jim steranko created such an iconic logo and that thing was on so much stuff yeah. he didn't get probably 10 bucks for that it's very true <laughs> he might not have even gotten paid yeah, you know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't get paid. I feel on like the... there's hope that it's Jim Stranko, and as a commercial artist, he might have fought for that for payment for that. Like, I don't know if he's doing free jobs back then, uh, but you're right; it, it's certainly underappreciated. I think of Kevin Nolan doing Hellboy's logo. Oh yeah, you know, like there are these like striking iconic logos, and they're important. It's it's, it's these books that, that are near and dear to our hearts. They start with that logo. Show us this character's name in some glorious treatment. I think Stranko did some like in the 90s some x-men art for like sh a can of chef boy rd right yeah. so obviously whatever uh issue had been going on had been resolved <laughs> by that point you know you know what man that, that was that that's that ad art money though man that's like you know chef boy rd money but it was he was, he was drawing and had that look that same logo that he designed in like 1967 you know chef boy rd money is great <laughs> hey man i had those uh those ninja turtles those ninja turtle shapes how about you, Tom? What's new? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Like, like Ed, you've you've said a couple of times, uh, like um, having a million ideas is as bad as having no ideas, and that's kind of like a, a thing that like chills me to the bone and stuff. So, like, I mean, because I I've, I've been spending the past like you know pretty much since the pandemic started of just kind of like developing all these like different comics and stuff, like like on my Patreon and stuff, and like letting things grow organically and see, and like some of them are kind of like you know take you know taking more shape than others and 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 coming to the forefront and others are, are fading in the background and yes yeah, so like um just like the other day i was like you know it's been a while since i did i drew something for print everything's been these sort of like um you know um layouts basically and so 
and I just kind of had this idea of like just just like start doing a comic like we were reading uh, Dick Tracy just start doing like a daily comic where it's like every day you know however many panels I can manage so like I, I started doing that um, this thing like starting with like these kind of like um, illuminated manuscript looking designs and stuff so that's like that's like super fr like I started that on Monday so that's that's what I've been doing this week and then I, I have like a couple you know unannounced projects like you that I can't really say anything about but Man, it's so ridiculous. They're keeping your mouth as mum. When we have this uh, giant network of people yeah, that we could yeah. be, frustrating at times. Be, be sending your way, man. Yeah. I, are you building up a queue of these strips before you let them see the later day, or are you just holding on to them? Oh, no, they're they're out. Like, if, if you're on my Patreon, you can read all this stuff. Like, it's out there. So it's like, it, these things are in the work. And those those strips, yeah, like, I'm, I'm you know, like, it's, as, it's as all you get up them there. done. Yeah, as I get them done. Like, I'm calling, it's called Monster Society, and it's kind of like, and it is just like every day it's like got to do that strip today and it's got to be print ready so you know let's do that so it's just you know that's where i'm at at the moment do you plan to keep doing these indefinitely um my my plan is to do them for like a month and then maybe have like an issue's worth and then see where i'm at see if that's I wanna cool keep, you know yeah i want to do a year's worth of that stuff myself yeah. like like the beauty of the instagram scroll is just too enticing yeah not to uh, take advantage of. And I want to work within those strictures of, of like the four panel strip or something like, you know, behind my head right here, man, there's a bookshelf full of, of comic strip reprints, man. Charles Schultz at the top, Dick Tracy, Milk Caniff, uh, every, all these guys using, using four panels to, to do the thing. Just let me try it for a year, man. Like, you know, I'm, I bought myself a little time to, to fuck off and, and yeah. see if something sticks or not, you know, like I could take a year and, and, and play with that. And that's definitely something I want to do. I mean, in, in the future, I want to maybe try like a year's worth of like one panel gag cartoons yeah. and, and try to try to understand that language a little bit. It would give me an excuse to read that complete far side. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean like with this too, like I've been doing all this stuff for like, yeah, the past year and a half where it's like I'm writing scripts coming up with like complete you know start to finish kind of stuff you know like all this like preparation and this one i'm like i want to do something with no preparation like where the preparation is just like the whole life that i've lived up to this point and only just sit down and make a and like yeah the clock's ticking gotta have one done today let's do it you know seems to be serving ben marrow real well man. oh yeah like, i like love his, what he's doing with his, his yeah his uh his audience has, has grown double yeah. uh since he started his his strip mm -hmm. i have um storytelling story Maybe not a story. Uh, I listen to Jim Cornette's wrestling podcast, and uh, he, he's been doing reviews of contemporary wrestling shows. And he was talking about, but it usually, you know, like stories will spin out of that. And it's a lot of craft of wrestling and the storytelling in wrestling, which is what got me into wrestling podcasts to begin with. And he told this, and I've never heard this before, but it was about the way announcers work in the storytelling of wrestling. And obviously they're putting someone over, or they're building something up. But he was saying, Kevin Sullivan told him this when he was the booker at WCW in the 80s. If he would have like a really hot angle coming up and something would happen, you know, the next segment he would book sort of a uh, an uninteresting match with the instruction that those announcers continue to talk about the previous oh, hot yeah. angle. Like he would book time in after the fact, but that was part of the booking of the show. That was part of the storytelling where it was like... We can't have the action in the ring obliterate what you guys are talking about just happened mm -hmm. in the previous segment. I've never heard that described, but it's amazing. That's like, sick. I love these ideas of like, how does the referee tell the story? How do the announcers tell the story? And how do you conceive of it and present it to get the most out of these different pieces? 
Cornell would talk about, uh, like in the Memphis territory, like one or two of those announcers weren't smart to the business. <laughs> so this guy, like these guys, you know, he's like the weatherman, uh, you know, during the day or something. And just going off and like getting crazy and like getting into fights with like arguments with the actual wrestlers when they come by because they were that protective back then that they weren't just going to let anybody know. And sometimes they would have those straight up announcers, man, that were just completely ignorant to the to the kayfabe. It's it's interesting to me because like since we do everything ourselves in comic books, we can make the lettering tell a story, you know, yeah. by having maybe a different font or style. You can make the page turns vital to that re to that reveal to really like create an impact. And I don't know that everybody gets to do that that makes comics or gets to think that way. But if you're controlling all the parts, like figure out how you get the most out of each of those elements. You know, speaking of that, man, uh, on on Instagram stories, people were showing us. Uh, they were tagging cartoonist kayfabe in um, like kick-ass trade paperbacks and stuff, showing us where the page turns were. Uh, yes. And uh, if you were curious, man, the uh, the uh, one piece that we said, oh, like that first yeah, one that works. Should be, yeah. Like that, it wasn't a left-handed reveal. The reveal was the boy in the costume, uh -huh. and then the following spread is he's standing there looking in the the bedroom mirror. Like, that's the spread, man. Uh -huh. And it was so awesome that people, like, helped us out in that way, man. They jumped out, like, pulled out their books and uh, just put it out there, man. Showed us the, the proper reading flow. So curious that, like, wh like, why not just retain that? Yeah. You, you know? You wonder, like, does this fall into the reprint editor's lap again? Like, we've been really critical of, like, these reprint editions and their quality. Uh, speaking of feedback from you know from from the kayfabers loving the Captain America folio reprints and and sort of yeah. how they approach those reprints, but I wonder if whenever you're seeing these paginations changing, if that's another one like uh, get the torches, we're going to the reprint <laughs> editor's office. What? Yeah, I mean because we hear about I don't know like guys like you know like Chris Ware or whoever who like will like fly to the to, to China the, to China to see to oversee the printing and stuff, and like that's incredibly rare. You know most 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 creators are just like fuck that i'm done i'm on to the next like i don't even give a shit you know it's just kind of like you guys figure it out you know well you know i i think if you work in that system to some extent that's self-preservation that's yeah. mental that's that's your mental health mental is like health, i've yeah. turned in my script yes you i think you <laughs> would lose your mind universe. if yeah, you were no. like really trying to like Make micromanage yeah. page flips and color and right. you know check in the press like i don't think you could do it and stay in a in, a, uh, in that sort of assembly line system very long well that's what i think about with like frank miller like you know it's kind of famous now i want to think of chris ware like fighting with uh marvel or dc editorial or something about every little thing i'm, yeah. I'm just thinking about like make what, that lettering half a point smaller like like what like what like if we were writing for somebody else man and you saw the results come back and just get put in a hospital that's yeah that's why you kind of hear about these people who kind of work in you know and whether it's like a screenwriter or what like you work in these collaborative things where they just kind of make peace with the idea of like I'm doing my piece to my standards the best that I can. And whatever this thing turns into, that's somebody else's problem. You do. Because yeah. it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And who knows? It might be better. You right. know, the, the, the collaborator may be smarter, may draw better. Who knows what, what the case would be. But I do think it's a different mindset whenever it's like, I've done my part. Yeah. I've turned it in. 
now yeah. it's yours. Like, yeah, right. you, you know, you guys are whoever's next or, or yeah, ultimately the, signing off gets to make these decisions. These things are our babies. It's very different. You know? Yeah. And, and none of us have ever been like fed into that kind of machine and certainly not fed into that kind of machine at an early enough age where it might have changed. Like at this point, it's like we just kind of are what we are. But who knows? Like, like doing some of that like Adult Swim stuff that I did, like that was the last collaboration like I, I've ever done. Uh, outside of this here, like this, yeah. this here is very special, um, and this is like an example of greater than some of the parts. You know, like I don't think if I did a YouTube channel all by myself, it would it would grow as quick as it did. It's like it requires like the the the, the multiplication of like three different energies. Uh, but man, doing that Adult Swim stuff, putting my heart and soul into this, yeah. and really caring, yeah, and seeing the results of what came out, I did not get out of bed for a month. Uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't. I, I was so embarrassed. Uh, there were articles in the paper, like, like pumping me up before the thing and stuff. And, like, you know, I had aunts and shit calling my parents. So everybody was watching. And when that thing came out, I didn't hear one mumbling <laughs> word from anybody. And I just wish I could have, like, men in black flashlighted, <laughs> like, everybody, like, and just pretend like they didn't even know it. Well, that's what's kind of interesting working in comics. Like, that's kind of the beauty of it being such, like, a fringe, like, off-the-radar <laughs> stuff. Like, when you're working on, like, something that's truly mainstream, and even, like, like an Adult Swim thing is kind of off the beaten path, but it's still on TV. And it, and on TV at a time when, like, TV was, was more dominant than it is now. So, yeah, it's a it's a different world. You know, it's like, oh, maybe it's better nobody, <laughs> I, you know, in my life knows what I'm up to with this I, stuff. I feel like there are those stories of, yeah. of the uh, of that sense of failure, but the good news is nobody nobody yeah. was there to see it. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the way comics works, like, if you do have a success, then, then you know, the people around you will know, you know? Like, right, they'll, they'll have a vague idea of it, but they didn't actually, like, read it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I listened to um, the Howard Stern interview with Bob Odenkirk, Okay. And it, it's from okay? a while ago. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was before. I think he is okay, but uh, I think it was before he had his, his uh, collapse on set. But uh, the reason I bring that up is he was promoting Nobody's, Nobody, the film that he did. But they were talking about it was like a career overview interview. So they're talking about his time at SNL where um, he, he he was an asshole, Odenkirk. And uh, I was a fan of his from Mr. Show. So, you know, like I, I've liked him for a while, but SNL was before that. But as he and, and Stern are talking, they were talking about how, like, if you really want to do something different, inevitably you're at odds with your producer or director yeah. or publish, publisher, you know, whoever editor, whoever it is that you're working with because they're in the system. Like, yeah. they've made what exists that you want to rebel against. It's inevitable that you have that attitude. Once again, another cool thing about comics, because the, the price to publish a comic, uh, to print it up, it... It's not that big of a deal, man. So thankfully, we have Fantagraphics or Drone Quarterly, places that will, uh, throughout the those tumultuous 90s, invest in very fringe ideas that they just kind of knew weren't going to be some sort of like long tail, like blockbuster thing, but they still invested in it. And the cartoonists still put that stuff together. It's so beautiful. And there's no, you don't get kicked out. There's not director hell when it comes to comic, there's not comic book hell because you lost $2,000 for somebody or something. You know what I mean? Like, uh, dust yourself off, give it another go. That's the, I mean, that is one of the greatest beauties of the business of comics is that, uh, you're not losing too much unless you're like Voyager communications and like getting like hedge fund guys to, to, uh, 
you know, I feel like CrossGen lost a few bucks. Yeah, but that was his own dude's money. That's Well, I don't know if that makes it any better. It might hurt more. Yeah, shit, whatever. <laughs> I think it's a funny thing to think about, though. Because it's like, when I start making comics, like that never crosses my mind. Because, like one, like you say, Ed, there are platforms in comics where you can be different. It's almost encouraged. But also, the stakes are low enough that you can make the mini-comic. Or now you can make the webcomic or the Instagram comic. Where... The, the pushback that you need to generate if you really want to do something new isn't as confrontational as if you're working within a system. Right. And then think about Saturday Night Live, like a well-oiled machine. Uh, you know, they're called sketches. They're not masterpieces. That's 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 Lorne Michaels sure. saying, like, it doesn't ha- it has to be on time. Yeah. It doesn't have to land every time. Yeah, and, and, you know, Stern, same thing. Like, now with radio directors and producers and stuff. But they, they both felt or at least seemed in the interview to be simpatico in that point of view of like, that's what happens. You show up and you want to do something different. You've got to be ready to like go to war with the, with the system. I think about, uh, you know, like the, like the image, like the, the founding fathers, like the Todd, Todd McFarlane going to the, the bosses, man, they're going to editorial and, and, and ask, just asking questions. Oh, it's not done this way. Why? Right. And, and then the people who are in the system, like Tom DeFalco, editor in chief saying things to them, like, well, it was good enough for me, so it's good enough for you. Like, that doesn't sit well with me. Some some dude told me that, who's the guy who's ultimately signing the check. You got to bounce. Yes. You have to bounce, man, especially if you have such name equity. You got to get the fuck out of there. Give it a go. You know, in terms of the pushback in comics for those guys, I mean, like, their peers were pushing back. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, it, and it's uh, more people just like, I mean, that's what, when we... T- top jobber like that's that's jobber mentality hey man like why why ruffle the feathers you know like my pops was you're gonna ruin it for all of us my pops is in the steel mill like the unions and shit like that hey quit working so fast you're gonna make us look bad like like that kind of stuff like like, uh, you tell me that shit (laughs) yeah it doesn't work once you uh once you leave the 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 marvel and go into business for yourself like uh yeah it's time to, to turn that work up yes yes absolutely man uh, but yeah, examples everywhere. And uh, I don't know about you guys, man, but every month's a new month, and I have some fucking Red Room comics that need uh, that need working on, man. So, uh, K-Fabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell, we'll notify you when new vids are available. Jimmy, what's out there, man? Subscribe to the Cartoonist K-Fabe e-newsletter. Uh, we're on Substack now, working out really well. It's a free, uh, our, our newsletter is free on there for the time being, at least. So subscribe now. See what we're doing there. Don't miss a single video. I was taking a look at the, like some of the back end, right? You got that fly cartoonist kayfabe shirt on. We sold thousands of shirts. A ridiculous. Like we have fifty thousand subscribers, but I don't think we sold more than fifteen thousand shirts. So, uh. so, <laughs> so. Uh, I was about to thank the kayfabers, but maybe just the kayfabers that have ordered a shirt. Yeah, man. Like so, you know, like that's. I actually bring that up because, one. Super cool to see photos from New York Comic Con and see people rocking rocking yes. the attire. Two, I've been hearing from people who were at the con, and there was there was a West Coast con that that went down. Oh man, off the top of the head, I can't I can't think about I, I can't remember. But uh, I've been getting feedback from people we had on the show, from people who were in the audience and like went to shoot interviews and were talking to some of the pros that we were talking to. Like it's going to be fun the next time. We come out of our little hobbit hole and go to a festival because, man, when we went to Heroes Con, that was like the, la- the last thing we really did, um, the last big show that we did, 
uh, pre-COVID, where it was like a proper comic festival. And I think we saw like over 100 cartoonist kayfabe shirts there when we had 6,000 subscribers. Yeah, so just I do, do the math it. real quick, Jim. You're the math lead. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what it's going to be next time. I, I feel like we can fill up San Diego. What's their big hall there? Fill it up with cartoonist Hall, hall H. H. Yeah. Uh, shirt wearers. Yeah, man. <laughs> Shit. All right, man. Uh, good to go. All right, man. Give them those more. Let's be on our way. Read more comics. <laughs>